Estás escuchando Eton Radio, 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 Radio. live from Eaton Hotel in Hong Kong and thank you firstly for being patient with us while we run a little bit behind schedule today. We are about 45 minutes behind but we will make up for the time and we will keep you entertained so you won't even see it go by but thank you for being patient and thank you for staying here with us. We have some very exciting content to share with you today because it is Fashion Revolution Week and here in Hong Kong many great things have been happening courtesy of two people sitting here with me, Kay Wong and Lauren Voucher. About you, sorry, who are part of the Redress team and looking at very different aspects of what the NGO Redress does in Hong Kong. And Redress has been around for a while. It's a textile waste NGO, an environmental NGO focusing on textile waste. Mm. So very often when people think about fashion, they are like, ooh, the sexy, glamorous stuff. But you guys do a lot of the hard work behind the scenes, the stuff that people don't see. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we go on. But just to introduce who we are and what we're doing here, my name is Tanya Vessels. I am a content creator and I am a writer. And I look at, I'm really curious about what drives us to do what we do. So looking at what drives human behavior. And I think that's a key looking at how to engage change and create little satellites of action because that's really what we need when we look at the changes that we make across the industries and what's needed is our own participation. So I look at things like eco-anxiety, the psychology of fashion, all kinds of interesting things. Now looking at the, the, the women I have sitting here next to me, I will do a very brief intro but feel free to expand on, on your sure. aspects. Kay, you've been working, you've been leading as of this year the Fashion Revolution Hong Kong chapter which is your first time. Tell us a little yes. bit more about your background and, and what you've been seeing happening. Okay, well, well, I've been, I, I've started my journey into sustainable fashion since maybe two, three years ago. Um, so upon my return from Copenhagen, I started um, Fashion Clinic with Toby, and we work on repair, reshape, and redesign services for individual clients, as well as doing collaborations, like upcycling projects for brands, um, NGOs, we do talks and workshops. So I guess we, we do have a slight kind of connection with redress, like the, the way we see fashion. Um, so I think I was just on this circular community WhatsApp and I saw Lauren post about the Fashion Revolution Hong Kong rep post. And that's how I just texted Lauren and said maybe I can take over your role this year so it's not been so long it's only been like a, <laughs> a couple of days <laughs> couple of weeks weeks there you go because Lauren you were you were the previous head of this experience in Hong Kong last year is that right yeah so I headed up fashion revolution week in Hong Kong last year um, this year Kay taking over yeah it's only been a couple of months but Kay's done a phenomenal job especially with everything that's going on with lockdowns uh, and social distancing yeah. to bring us so many exciting events this week online um, and also really reaching a local Hong Kong audience mm. which we haven't in previous years which has been fantastic and running events in Cantonese has been great. Yeah. So I'd like to interrupt here and perhaps mm. maybe we can expand on what fashion revolution is for those who don't know what this hashtag that they perhaps hopefully see across social media what is fashion revolution and why is it important? Would you like to? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I find it difficult because it, it's a very big we can all we can all expand a, very, a little yeah. bit mm. it, there's no there's <laughs> it's not a test um, I know I know my understanding of fashion revolution right. and and my experience of it is it really was born of an unfortunate incident yes which happened seven years ago in 2013 in Rana Plaza factory in Bangladesh yes. where the building collapsed and over a thousand people lost their lives and many more were injured and this really was a a moment of global attention on the fashion industry mm. and yes. there were a number of different brands working in that factory um, a lot of different elements at stake but it really was this moment to just say this is we know it's not uh, the system is broken but we this is really a step too far so this movement was born mm. from, that from that incident mm. and we sometimes think that fashion revolution is a week it's not this the the activity happens all year round yeah. this particular week invites people to ask who made my clothes to open up that conversation around what is the actual process of getting a garment from from the soil to our wardrobes and beyond yeah. so this is a call to action and what i really love about fashion revolution is that it's very inclusive and yes. and the, it's very much action orientated 
It's not mm. theoretical and it's very open. They give you all the tools you need to take action on your own. They give you the fonts, they give you the, the instructions, yeah. they give you the images because they. this is an appeal to designers, to brand managers, to factory workers, to people who sew, to yeah. people who toil the land. This is everyone. Mm, something I just pick up on there um, is that Fashion Revolution is a global organization. Mm. Um, so it happens in countries all around the world. I was yeah. seeing earlier this morning there were events yesterday in Guatemala, <laughs> uh, mm. in South Africa, in New Zealand, in Singapore, um, in, Singapore in Philippines. Yeah. Yeah, Everywhere. so it's a global movement. It was it was started in the UK, but it's spread all around the world. And there's different offices in all parts of the world. So obviously, Kay is heading up the Hong Kong office, yeah. um, who all come together, and especially during Fashion Revolution Week, to ask these important questions. Who made our clothes, being one of them, but also things like what's in our clothes. Yeah. So I think for 2020, they've, we've got four key areas we'd like to talk about so conditions so conditions of the workers um, behind the the fashion industry um, composition of clothing they were talking they were saying that 60% of our clothes is made of polyester and it's actually plastic and we're actually washing a lot of this microplastic into the sea um, and then there is consumption which is very serious a problem in Hong Kong over consumption of clothing and then the last one is collective action. So that's more like setting up. I think it's like um, uh, workers' rights. And, workers' and rights, unions. yes. Yeah. So yeah. Isn't, it, isn't it interesting areas. that in this moment in time, general public, fashion insiders, and those beyond are really questioning what are textiles made of? I mean, we've reached this yeah. point where there's so much um, information sharing that the average person today mm. has a pretty good indication that there's a lot of plastic in the textiles that we wear yeah. every day. And yeah. to me, that's extraordinary because I'm not in the fashion world, but I really look at things and I scrutinize them and I question, I ask questions that 10 years ago wouldn't even have crossed people's minds. And there's so yeah. much more visibility into this, which is what fashion revolution mm. is about. It's about transparency. It's mm, not yes. about blaming. It's about really... Fashion Revolution was started by people who love fashion. Yes, this was never absolutely. to be an attack or shaming. This was really no. people saying, we love fashion, it's broken. How can we l get to love a fashion that serves everyone again? And mm -hmm. I think that's really beautiful. And it's, it's made me so much more aware. I just wanted to mention that this morning I read that Eaton Hotel staff have got sustainable clothing for their for their staff the yes. t-shirts are made by Cosmo Studio right. which uses yes. recycled plastic yes and this just you know Eaton in addition to being one of the most progressive spaces and thank you very much for having us this morning and to James yeah. for all his help but progressive people are really incorporating that and taking that yeah. on board and we see a lot mm -hmm. of really great stuff coming out of Hong Kong yeah what what can you what has been your experience with that well because um, I I put together a sustainable fashion festival last November at the mills we've kind of connected a lot with kind of um, sustainable innovators material pioneers designers brands putting all together so Cosmos is one of the designers we worked with um, and also for Fashion Revolution Week this time I got in touch with two very amazing brands Laces and um, I have a pair <laughs> yeah, 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 and Real Creed. So yes. they both work with um, recycled or leftover leather scraps and then mixing it with recycled plastic to make their shoes. So everything is recycled, like down to every little detail. Um, so I was very impressed. So, so we had them on our Facebook Live on Monday. That was just so, so good to learn about the whole process, how they actually do it because sustainable practices often mean it's more expensive than the normal way of producing so it's it's challenging but then that's what they've like poured their heart into making it happen so yeah addressing so many pain points that yeah. people who want to do these things but find that they can't for all the obstacles that they have to overcome Absolutely. and it's really pioneering and exciting to see how much we have in Hong Kong yeah and and especially if your background is fashion design. You had a very successful brand for a long time. You Thank had you. your some of your work was shown in the Karl Lagerfeld shows, I believe, and you've won awards. You actually, so you underplay you underplay <laughs> your uh, skills somewhat, but I will not let you get away with that because okay. you've seen a lot of the glamour of creating beautiful clothing, and yeah. you really come from that side of things, which I always find interesting talking mm -hmm. to people in fashion, yeah. because m like you, you came from, you worked at luxury fashion, you advised, you were on the legal side, you really 
very different sides of this conversation. And, and I often think that if we really knew what was behind fashion, we would be a lot more concerned. We see such a sanitized version of clothing when we walk into high street shops and yeah. the light is right and the clothing is impeccable and the colors are appealing and everything is tipping and tapping into our, our, our needs, our psychological, our emotional needs. Yeah. But if you strip away all that glamour, there's a lot of, of pain and suffering that gets that garment to that point and then from that point to where it eventually ends up. And I think just to quote, and this is from the vegan movement, but Paul McCartney, when he said that abattoirs, if they had glass walls, people would think differently about eating meat. And I yeah. think if we understood more about which, where every piece of our clothing comes from, we'd be a lot more cautious about where we spend our time and energy. Do you agree with that? Mm, definitely. I definitely agree. And I also think we would value what we had more. Um, if we knew just the amount of human yeah. effort and time and craft that went into making our clothes, but actually mm. into making a lot of the things that we use and consume every day that we don't really think about sort of who made them and what they're yeah. made of. If we knew more about that and if we asked these questions that Fashion Revolution Week encourages yeah. us to ask, mm. uh, we would value our things more and be less likely to treat them as disposable because actually that's where we've come to these days with yeah. fashion is that it's so cheap and it's so prolific that a, a lot of us treat our clothes just as if they're a you know single plastic bag or a piece of paper. They're just a disposable item that we use and then we throw away. I, I think that the problem, like the big one of the biggest problems, is that fast fashion is making it so cheap that people, not knowing about how it's being produced, mm. thinks that okay, it's just so cheap, like twenty dollars. I it's so cheap that I should just buy it even if I won't wear it. Mm, because and that cost in sick. no way reflects actually no. what's, what's gone into it. Yeah. That's where the psychology is interesting because it's it seems like a relatively innocent thing to do. I've definitely done it in the past before I became more curious. What's the harm? I buy this dress. What's the big deal? Yeah. And I think that that's where it's become so easy. Mm. It's become so fast that it, and it feels harmless. Clothing doesn't hurt people. I'm not, mm. you know, I'm not harming someone yeah but it's a system that's been so devised and 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 backed and powered that we, yeah. we're doing this quite innocently i have friends who tell me i and a little shout out to hashtag impact podcast because i heard an mm. interview a live interview with christina dean founder of redress about three years ago where she was talking about her experience of going to dumpsters and actually right. wearing the clothing from yes. dumpsters yes really and christina dean is somebody who is very aesthetically stylish and pleasing and, and yeah. wears things well. So whatever yeah. she could wear, people will believe. And here's the power of persuasion, right? Mm. Because if she can make something look cool, yeah. I became curious and I thought what would happen if for one year I didn't buy any clothing? Yeah. And I didn't. Mm. And it's been three years and I haven't bought new clothing. Amazing. And so much has changed in yeah. ways that I never thought possible. But mm. this to ask that question about how much of this is really undoing what we've learned and how do we get people yeah. to engage? My friends tell me, but I don't shop a lot. I only shop once a year. The point with fashion is that because if we don't have clothing, we will get arrested. It's illegal to walk around naked. <laughs> we all have to have clothing. Consequently, and this is an invitation, we're all part of the fashion conversation. If you have clothing mm. in your wardrobe, you're part of the fashion conversation. If yes. you shop once a year, if you shop 100 times a day, the spectrum, different degrees, but we're still part of the conversation. Not yeah. to shame people, but to invite them yeah. into creative solutions. And I really feel that this is an opportunity to mm. do that, right? Yeah. I think another way that we can kind of invite people to be part of it is pointing out that actually textiles are everywhere. You know, even if it's not the clothes on your body, it's yeah. your carpets, your cushions, your bed sheets, your towels. You know, it's the same sort of production Process, line yeah. that goes into making those textiles. And just to talk to you a little bit, Lauren, I remember last year, at the end of last year, during the redress campaign to collect clothing, the clothing drive, where you invite companies and businesses and schools around Hong Kong to donate clothing at designated points in the public. So very straightforward process. You can leave your clothing in this box. We will collect it, sort it and, and process it. And I was part of a, a public initiative with you guys where you're inviting volunteers to come and help sort out through how many kilos of, how many tons of clothing was we it? We sorted through 15.4 tons of clothes <laughs> oh my altogether goodness. in 24 hours. <laughs> we had 420 volunteers helping us over that 24 oh hours. And it, yeah, it was 15 tons. incredible just to see that amount of clothes sitting in one big and pile. What, what kind of clothing is it? 
was it? Uh, this is all sorts of things. So we ran the drive, as Tanya said, with it was about 120 companies, clubs and schools across Hong Kong that uh, took part in the clothing drive. And they were just encouraged to donate anything that they didn't want anymore. So oh any unwanted goodness. clothes. So we had men's, women's, it's children's. A we had, you you know, dirty come. socks and underwear. And we had oh beautiful no. luxury. But you had oh, laid out had the criteria. You did ask people, do not, you know, do not donate those things. But things slipped through the net and it happened. And Inevitably, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh but by the same token, um, you would find absolute gems. And this is, you yeah. know, a testament to Hong Kong's habits, shopping habits. You had high-end designer bags of relatively if not completely unworn designer clothing that somebody mm. was willing to put into an anonymous box in a public space because as we yeah. know there's not a lot of space in the city people don't have a lot of capacity to hold on to things and people are relatively um, shopping friendly they, it's a pastime yeah. so you will end up with these these piles, 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 piles of clothing. And I think what happens in sustainability across the board is we get numbed by the numbers. We hear there are X number of this, there's this, and it, it, it doesn't sound good, mm. but you can't really engage with it emotionally because it's an abstract. Right. With these kind of exercises, mm. as far as the eye can see. Mm. Yeah. And that was just how many, that wasn't even a very long drive. It was like you collected over. It was over four weeks in October. Not yeah, much. Just in Hong Kong. I think I've done something similar with women in finance, and then at that point it was Friends of the Earth. They they did a, a similar thing, and I helped sort out three, four tons of clothing, and that was just already a nightmare. It was. It's funny when you say four tons because I mean, what does that figure mean? You know, oh, it's, it's so hard to kind of imagine. Yeah. You know, as yeah. Tammy said, like just what what but does it that was look just like? A but sea of boxes, and I had to climb <laughs> over it as if it was yeah. a mountain. And someone took a photo of me on the top, and I was just oh, all the dust and everything. But there was like a lot of good stuff in it. Of course, and, and there's the time really that it takes, and which is what you guys do completely de devote mm. your time to collecting those unwanted and, and giving them a new part in this cycle of fashion. Yeah. And I think the psychological, if you multiply those numbers visually, if you think that's four weeks and you do you know 12 weeks and, and it becomes so overwhelming that I found eco-anxiety to be something that would happen. I would get panicky. I'd get really scared about my mind would be doing the math and imagining I, you know, polar bears starving and the <laughs> whole film playing out in front of me and it would just really let me down a very dark yeah. space. But to go back to the, the cycle of fashion, tell us a little bit about, you're the head of circular fashion, of the circle fashion cycle at Circular Fashion Program. Thank you. Thank you. I knew <laughs> there was a right Fashion ultimate. Program Manager. It's a lovely it's a long title. <laughs> I'm glad you said it because I was like, Whoo. Um, so tell us a little bit about what does that mean mm. and what's what's the con what's the difference between that and a normal fashion mm. cycle? Uh, yeah, so Redress has two arms, really. Um, yeah. I'm part of the Circular Fashion Program, but of course, Redress's flagship project is the Redress Design Award. So that's right. really working with designers mm -hmm. like Kay to teach um, techniques like upcycling and to try and design out waste at the beginning. Mm. Um, but the Circular Fashion Program, where I am, is really looking at um, that waste that's coming out of the fashion system and saying, right. well, what can we do with it? How can we put this back into use in some way? Um, it's also about raising awareness in a big way of the problem. So it's mm. about reaching out not to designers, but to consumers, to brands, um, to corporates, to schools, to try and reduce the amount of waste that we're creating in the first place. But yeah. then to encourage people to think about what to do with things that they don't want, rather than to throw them in the bin. Um, and textile waste rates in Hong Kong are just uh, astronomical it's 392 tons of textiles going to landfill every single day in what? Hong Kong 50% of which is clothing so that's about 200 tons every single day going how, to landfill how much in Hong would Kong. that translate into in terms of visual like buses Visually, I don't know because I, I, I've seen someone talk about tons in terms of like that's like how many buses packed with clothing or something? We ran the, the figures <laughs> last year um, when it was 370 tons oh every single but day. But that's clothing? Of, te of textiles, textiles generally. Okay. And that was about one and a half times the big Buddha. Oh my god! So goodness. if you can imagine one the and a big half Buddha times on Lantau. Oh um, and so tell us, where does that go? What does it look like once 
once you guys filter because and you're exactly so where does it go that's a that's a brilliant question and, so and that's really the, the challenge of, of circularity right. is yeah. trying to bring all of that all of those resources back into the loop so that they can be used at the very beginning when designers yeah. are sourcing materials ultimately the idea is that they could use those materials at end of life and bring them back into the chain so, so correct me if I'm wrong is it 80% of the design process dictates the end of the life of the garment so within that it's 80% um, determines the garment's overall sustainability, and that does take into account end of life. Um, so 80%, sorry, of, of a garment's sustainability is locked in at that design stage. Right. So right, that's right. questions around like what fibers do you source? Are you sourcing organic cotton or recycled yeah. polyester or polyester? Um, and then looking at the impact of that sourcing and your um, overall design, whether you're using yeah. zero waste patterns or creating a lot of waste in the pattern making stage right. and looking at the impact of that over the life cycle, about 80% is locked in at that stage. Which is why yeah. education is so important, mm. working with designers to yeah. think ahead before we're doing all this catch up at the end. And, and really helping them to think along ways that will be more regenerative, right? Rather yeah. than just linear where it is take, make, throw away yeah. and understanding that everything has value and it's a financial question as well you mm. are throwing away money when yes. you're constantly ditching old genes when you're constantly Absolutely. these things can relive and find a new output so that, that's the whole circular concept where we keep things in this loop mm. and yeah. you keep in the loop as long as you can and that's not just only in fashion it can be from fashion to agriculture vice versa it can be different industries taking from each other textiles is such a huge thing it mm. taps into car seats curtains um, upholstery it's endless but when yeah. unless we start thinking systematically about how what will happen with this at the end of its life mm. right. and really think through that a little bit more holistically mm. yeah. we're going to keep on having overlaps and missed opportunities within industries right but that absolutely needs to be taken into account at the design stage because right. what we're finding at the moment when we you know and our drive towards a circular system for fashion is that yeah. a lot of the textiles that are being created aren't able to be recycled at the end of their lives um, and there's yeah. a lot of um, work to do sort of developing and financing the technology that goes into that. Um, but there's also a lot of education work to do with, you know, educating designers about what can and can't be recycled. Yeah. Very simple things like um, I was reading in the Ellen MacArthur jeans redesign guidelines about how various parts of our jeans aren't recyclable. For example, the, the seams, the buttons, the zips, of course. So when yeah. you take a pair of jeans to get recycled, all of that needs to be cut away. And basically yes. you're just cutting off the whole top part of the jeans that includes the back pockets and the top with all the fastenings. I, so I think a very yeah. small percentage of it can be recycled, but if we designed it differently, we could recover a lot more. So this particular point when you're talking about the jeans, I think, f I don't know how to pronounce, pr pronounce exactly, but Freitag or Freetag? Oh yeah, Freetag, they, yeah. They've, they've designed a pair of jeans that's completely compostable. So they've designed the rivets, the pockets and the zippers, everything can be just like unscrewed and then you can just put it in the compost bin and it's just going to So denim go. is one of the most uh, resource intensive items yes. in our wardrobes, is that right? From the dyeing to the cotton to, to the, water the, the usage, effects yeah. that they make right. on the different sandblasting, etc. It's a very, very resource intense garment, correct? Yes. And this might be, <laughs> yes, you got it right. <laughs> yes. um, this might be a good question, a good time to talk about the difference between upcycling, recycling and downcycling, because mm. I think there might be, and that's really your area, mm. Kate, T take it away. <laughs> so so I've, been, I've been using kind of this upcycling approach since I started off in my career. Just when I, when I design, it's, it's actually very um, economical to kind of turn an old shirt into a new design. So this has always been kind of my design approach to I like unpicking things um, I'm not great at doing paper patterns myself so it's easier for me to un unpick things and put things together back again and often by doing so I create new forms from putting two shirts together um, pulling the the sleeve away or making the sleeve the color so it's just a very fun creative process this upcycling like giving more value Correct. Um, yeah. to an old garment. Yeah. Um, recycling is um, reusing material to, um, how, how, how should I 
define recycling. It's basically um, turning fibers back into fibers again. Yes, fibers back into fibers. Mm. And downcycling is probably making. Oh, do you want to? <laughs> no, you can go. <laughs> you can have it, Kim. <laughs> no, sometimes I find it difficult to to say it's downcycling because even if you turned um, not so good fabric into uh, blankets, they call it downcycling, right? I I don't really see it as down. Mm -hmm. mm. So, but but that's how people yeah. define. The value is less than. Less it's than not. It's, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So the very right. simple kind of explanation yeah. is that upcycling would increase the value, and that downcycling is yeah. turning it into a low value product like um, insulation for right. car seats. But keeping right. it in the cycle, right? Right. Yeah. right. Keeping um, it out of landfill, basically. Keeping mm. it out of landfill, yes. But I suppose the question is, you know, say you downcycle something into stuffing, what happens next? You know, does it then go to landfill? You're extending its life, but is it ultimately then being discarded rather than brought back into the loop? Which is where right. the technology comes with really looking at regenerative materials and a lot right. of bio-organic, uh, compostable, mm. regenerative. So there's there's interesting te uh, technology in action. However, in terms of a meaningful time frame, I guess that's the that's the challenge that everybody faces and even optimists are aware that you yeah. know we do have certain challenges how do we get there faster how do we scale and how do we address the two really painful points which is convenience and cost yeah you can't expect the consumer to constantly be making those decisions to go out of their ways to be the better person with virtue signaling and with virtue signaling and and to really go out of their way in terms of expense and energy i think it's up to the systems to really provide those services and and mm, yeah. i think everybody's in agreement with that it's just a question of what are the incentives how are we going to get there how fast mm. and who's going to take the lead yeah i think most brands and companies are aware that changes are afoot that doesn't necessarily mean that they're all ready to take the lead mm. <laughs> go or be dragged i think is to some extent the the philosophy but that is that is an understanding that we all have. So that price point and convenience challenge. Yeah. And and Kay, um, with you, what's interesting is that you truly are, and you call yourself the green artivist. You know everything. <laughs> I know everything. <laughs> but it's yes. and I've seen your um, work, and that yeah. that that concept of really no waste is That's is across the board for you. It's not just as a profession. You mm. make fine art yes. out of found pieces, and yeah. you compose them in a really <laughs> Sorry, I think, and not I think I think I think this has to rewind a bit back to my fashion label days. Um, at that point, I really just kind of kept my ha head in the sand, like an ostrich. Like I didn't want to. I knew there were problems in the fashion industry, but I just kind of like I don't want to know about it. And it was also a very busy life, so I just had to keep chasing the seasons all the time. Um, so when I had the chance to close the brand, close the studio, I was just like super relieved, but also horrified by how much stuff we've accumulated over 10 years. It's just, it's not just the dead stock we've accumulated. It's just raw materials, it's buttons, trimmings, chains, um, all the bits and bobs. I was, we had to rent three kind of mini storage rooms to put everything in. And even so we, yeah, there, there was a lot of stuff we couldn't keep. So when I <laughs> went to Copenhagen, I worked for another designer. And what was more horrific was um, he, I mean, he, he was an idol to me. Like I loved his work and he did amazing um, catwalk exhibition installation. Can like you share his name? Henrik Vipskov. <laughs> um, and the first one of the first tasks he gave me was like, "Hey, can you help me sort out the warehouse?" And because he did these amazing installations every season, so his warehouse was like twenty times mm, bigger than mine. Up. Mm. <laughs> so I had to help him sort through his stuff as well. I was just like thinking, "God, this fashion industry is sick." I mean, it's the, we we create so much stuff every season and is it necessary to do this every season so that was i think the start of having conversations with designers like i think designers um in scandinavia east eastern europe they they have this mentality kind of inborn they think of of the environment a lot so we had a lot of 
conversations and that was also the year that I also tried this one year of not buying new clothes and that was just very refreshing because I, I brought my suitcase of clothes that I needed and it was just amazing not to have that many choices it was so much lighter mm. um, yeah so that was the, the kind of the changing point and that was also when I decided just looking at all the do documentaries the true cost and all that I decided to set myself a rule like to not use any more new vir virgin material so that was how the green artifice came about like just setting this rule and that's how also fashion clinic worked and all my other freelance jobs, like not using any new material. Mm. So psychologically, that's so interesting because we, one makes these challenges, like this rule is for me and I'm going to abide by this. And we don't always understand the, the implications that comes over time psychologically. And I think tapping into now what the world is seeing with COVID-19 yeah. and this lockdown mm. and uh, very un we're really being pulled out of our routines for whatever yeah. reasons. If you were a gym bunny, you <laughs> can maybe no longer be a gym bunny right now. Yeah. Um, if you were a shopaholic and you'd love going into shops and touching textiles and feeling things, you can't do that in shops right now. You can probably yeah. do it online. So a lot of things are being challenged for us right now on a scale that I don't believe we've ever seen. Yeah. So when we have these things taken, and this is a little bit of something we were talking about before, is our identities and our sense of self and the discomfort with a life without distractions. And what I, where I'm going with this is that I think very often many of us shop because we're bored, because it's fun, because it's there, because, because, because. We overeat, we overexercise, we do a whole bunch of things to extremes to perhaps take us out of the moment. Mm. And I think now with this situation, we're perhaps seeing an invitation to be a little bit more present with yeah. with different realities and where mm. will that go? And, and how much of this is just trying to run away from ourselves? So when I hear people being shopaholics, I do wonder, like, it is fun to a certain point yeah. and there is value in shopping. However, at what point does that become your sense of self or something that you just do as opposed to being intentional about it? Mm. Right. And here's a real, and I found that when I stop buying clothing, I have so much more energy for other ideas. Exactly. That, that uh, point of decision making all the time is kind mm. of gone because I've narrowed my options so much yeah. that 80% of what's around me, I don't even look at, let mm. alone spend time debating it. Yeah. And the, but that of course ends, opens up a whole bunch of other things, but that's a different story. But this kind of stepping out of your comfort zone or being invited to think about things differently, how mm. much of us are just running away from ourselves with this endless consumption? Mm. That's true. And we were talking also about um, revenge shopping, oh, that's which, horrible. you know, we have a lot of optimism around this new dynamic where people are just really questioning what's really important, what isn't. And, and, and financially being the belts being tightened, there are a lot of forcing functions, making people behave as they haven't before. Now, yeah. for the sustainability people, we're very excited about this because we keep on thinking, yes. yay, yes. things can come out of this. But on the other hand, when we step out of our bubble, What's happening on the other side? Where do you see this going? Can you talk us a little bit through what you think possible outcomes could be from this change in our routine? In, I mean, looking at the economy, I suppose, not on a, yeah. on a personal level, but you know, mm. we've seen a huge decline in foot traffic to retail stores, um, declines online as well. Uh, across the board, all businesses, but especially in fashion. So fashion's been particularly hard hit because it's a, a discretionary good, right? We we do need to wear clothes, but we don't <laughs> need as many clothes um, as we have. Uh, and experts are predicting that that's going to be a long term, that this is going to stick around for a while. You know, there's significant um, effect to our economy of this lockdown yeah. period. And people are feeling a little bit kind of anxious about mm. their financial security exactly. as well exactly. and less willing to spend. Um, so, I mean, at the moment, that sort of decline in consumption has come very much from for practical reasons, foot traffic, but also financial reasons. But it, there is potential that this is going to tie in with a wider sentiment that we have been seeing over the last couple of years. So mm. experts have sort of noted, trend forecasting experts have noted that sustainability is picking up momentum. So people are more aware of environmental problems and social problems in the fashion industry. They're aware of overconsumption of mm. irresponsible business practices and they are starting to demand change at a small scale. 
But it's possible that this time of reflection and that this time when we've been forced to stop, that those conversations are going to be sharpened and that those kind of um, those opinions are going to be sharpened and sustainability is really going to be brought into the spotlight and become an even bigger consideration for consumers when life does eventually return back to a new normal. <laughs> a new normal, that's right. Lots of brands will fold, do you believe? I mean, is that just inevitable that we're going to see a lot of and perhaps superfluous brands or fashion or cycles or there was talk about do we need that many fashion cycles we should there was already talk before this that it needs to slow down having so many seasons so many shows so many so many it was just stressing everyone out Mm. could this perhaps really be a kind of reflection point where we say is this really necessary because i think think, everybody's getting a lot of designers have been asking this question how many seasons are there like fashion seasons <laughs> they say 52. But I don't know whether that's, that's fashion. Mm. That's Zara, I think. Mm. <laughs> at least 52 horrible. sort of new drops. Yeah, There's new at least drops. a new drop a week. Or a capsule a collections. Week. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. A lot of brands have ended up with a huge amount of overstock at the moment. And so that might be the catalyst for um, right. reducing the number of seasons. So what's going to happen with those out of fashion <laughs> things now that have been <laughs> lying around in storerooms for weeks now? They're oh, very gosh. passe. They're mm. very last yeah. month. <laughs> so what happens with that? So uh, uh, possibly bargain sales. being burnt as we very possibly yeah across the world there'll be landfilling and incineration because of this i mean uh, of course it's it's appalling and that that, that's not the system we want to be part of but there really is globally a struggle for solutions of what to do with just all of this stuff that we've created and also resources running out how much more cotton will there be how much any natural resource will there be there's there's these things are not guaranteed so there's so many points to reflect for the industry to really see how do we move this forward and and where are we with this complete crazy cheap bikinis for one dollar and you know at a click of a button you can have a whole wardrobe if you don't like it send it back yeah they have also i can totally feel that the mentality or people's um habits is shifting so, so the fashion revolution alternative, I think, is really cool. <laughs> like, have you seen the? Um, so it's it's a an alternative to fashion haul. Oh like no, tell fashion me. hauling. So, so you so know what a fashion haul is. When you go and buy large numbers of items and just yeah. overbuy. But then you get on YouTube because you're an influencer. Oh, no, no, no. Hold up and show everyone what you've bought today. I bought this T-shirt and this skirt. Yeah, Yeah, I I see where this is going. So it's the Fashion Revolution team in London. They came up with a alternative guide. So it's it's, um, a lot of like uh, doing up your wardrobe, like organizing your wardrobe, um, buying secondhand, renting clothes, repairing, DIYing, um, there's many more, but it's just really a really fun guide. That to is fantastic because I think yeah. a lot of sometimes when people talk sustainable fashion, there's a lot of no's. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't yeah. What about the yeses? What a, what mm. about the the opportunities to s- keep on enjoying fashion but do it in a yeah. better way? And yeah. with this, I want to talk about a little bit more about what you're talking about: the mm. renting, uh, decluttering, all this yeah, kind of stuff. And this is a good time with the Marie Kondo, with like how to, uns- you know minimalize your life how to get rid of that psychological stress that you have of having so much stuff that needs looking after the mold the ironing the packing the hong kong has a number of good solutions and um, one that comes to my mind is a company called pact where they basically take the pain Mm -hmm. out of storage looking after your clothing climate controlled wardrobe on demand you can right so it's really all those things that are painful and annoying like who really wants to go do that they do that for you so it's a really elegant solution to to really deal with a lot of the problems around keeping a wardrobe in good condition and also knowing what's in your wardrobe. I think a lot of people have things that they have forgotten about Mm. and you might end up with like six black jumpers and you realize that I'm a black jumper person, great, but (laughs) how many do I need? Let's talk about other companies who are really innovating in Hong Kong and people who are doing great things. 
Um, I think in terms of secondhand clothing, I, there are a lot of shops I really like. I think Green Ladies is doing super mm. well. I think the way they keep, I mean, they treat the garments before they put it in the shop. You, you, you just feel safe that it's been cleaned properly and they've got a nice selection, all color coordinated in the store. Um, then another few like cool, cooler ones. It's Ludite. I don't know if you know. It's kind no, of in a secret of corner on Haven Street in Causeway Bay. What Secrets. Are they? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's tell really me what kind of about But yeah. I think it's more like a guy. Like he, I mean, he makes his own line of clothing as well. But it's mainly secondhand. Um, a lot of American, European style um, military wear military bags it, but it's really a nice careful selection <laughs> and then Xiao Shi Guang I think it's in Shang Wan um, it's more ladies vintage wear and then there's also Midwest you know he's got all these secret places <laughs> that I know I was gonna name some different brands oh so really this is very can, good you, for my can you tell me your selection I mean <laughs> gotta give her the number that she's given you so now you've gotta give uh, her three maybe we should put together a list and I'll put Absolutely. it on Facebook yeah and people can do. ask you know send in questions ask these are valuable resources we have here in terms of mm. understanding yeah. the fashion system mm. and yeah. and how to make things fun again and how to I make know. things enjoyable because fashion is not meant to be punishment it's not meant to no. be it's so many different things and the psychology of fashion to me is endlessly fascinating not yeah. because I necessarily am interested in brands but I'm interested in why people do what they do and yeah. fashion really is a billboard it's an advertisement whether you know it or not we're always signaling to people we're always sending messages we're always selling ourselves and yeah. not in a nasty way it's just if this is who I am to some extent mm. and yeah. if we take away the kind of aspirational lifestyle luxury branding that goes with certain aspects of that but we really just say I express myself through clothes. I enjoy clothes. It's color. It's texture. It's mm. expression. It's fun. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I and I miss that part of it because it's just become such a disposable, dirty feeling nowadays to some for me. Yeah. And I want to get back into where it's fun and where we can do this in a healthy way. So, what advice would you give people out there who are thinking of of who don't necessarily want to go as extreme as saying I'm going to stop buying clothing for X number but what are sustainable brands that you recommend where should they start what are the resources what films what books tell us a little bit about what what floats your boat in these things mm. I think if it's uh, someone who's not really seen any of the documentaries then the true cost is like the must watch because I think it's the most comprehensive documentary about what's happening all over like in different kind of production parts of the fashion chain so I think that's super important and then after that I'd suggest organize reorganizing your wardrobe like take everything out and just revisit everything because you've got stories and history and <laughs> with with a lot of your pieces and I think a lot of times or, or maybe most girls in Hong Kong have an exploded wardrobe <laughs> <laughs> probably most um, girls worldwide <laughs> yeah so it's just after reorganizing and making yourself able to see everything, you just stop buying or making the same repeat buys mm. of the same you items you think. You realize you already have a lot. Yeah. And you've already got so much variety and so many things to wear. Yeah. So, I mean, Maria Kondo is good because she has tips on how to help you reorganize your wardrobe. But I don't agree that... I mean, she she always encourages people to just chuck mm. everything away. <laughs> I don't mm. I don't I don't think that's the right way to go. I mean, I do think a minimalist approach to your wardrobe is good, but it's not about just that doesn't solve the problem. It's if you definitely keep not about dumping and replacing, which no. is a cycle that unfortunately is also yeah. it's, it's as they say, love clothes last. The chances are that you've probably made exactly. some good fashion decisions at some point in your life, yeah. and don't discard that time and energy that you spent picking those garments. Perhaps just rethink it, mm -hmm. give yeah. it another twist. Definitely. You might think everyone's seen me a million times. This here's a little heads up. Most people don't think about other people very often. <laughs> Really, ins it's it's liberating. Don't see it as an insult. See it yeah. as. Do you honestly think you've seen me wear this before? Because I definitely have. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I hadn't noticed. Yeah. And I think that here's you know the psychology. Let's question ourselves. Let's question why we do the things we do. Because yeah. here's an opportunity to get better. 
at yeah. doing things. And this is not just about fashion. This is about a whole bunch of things. But Definitely. we understand more about human behavior and, and our brains than we ever have. And we will continue to do that. So here's a real chance to get really good at being us. And that is something that I find very exciting. And fashion yeah. is one of the many facets that, that expands to because it's everyone. Like we said, yeah. male, female, young, old, we all wear clothing. We are all part of the conversation. We are all part of the potential to change this yeah. for everybody else who comes after us. Mm. And, and yeah, it just, you know, the idea that planet and people and animals and resources suffer for the, for the relative wealth of a f handful of people is absurd. Mm. And we yeah. encourage this. We, we perpetuate this cycle because we're psychologically supportive. We're emotionally, financially supportive. We keep these systems going. Yeah. And at what cost to ourselves, ultimately, if we're constantly being told this is the new trend, if you, have, you, know, if you are overweight, wear this. If you are looking a bit spotty, use that. There's always a solution to whatever is lacking in you. And I really yeah. challenge this thinking. And I think particularly as girls, from a young age, from the moment we can read, we are signaled to, yeah. to that there's something missing. There's something that you can get, that you can be better about. And I really, mm. as I get older, I really like, but hang on, this is nonsense. This is absolute nonsense. And yeah. we're aware of that. Yeah. And I think a lot of today is about undoing things rather yeah. than doing and becoming more is about undoing those layers of psychological conditioning and messaging from media Absolutely. and family and friends that we've been yeah. fed year after year even people who make good choices and decisions are mitigating the existing information to right. get to those better choices you kind yeah. of have to step around it and I think not buying fashion for a whole bunch of years has really helped me understand how this all works mm. and not wanting to be part of that loop that endless loop that has yeah. no satisfaction it just goes on and on 52 cycles of fashion i mean this is ridiculous are we getting yeah. are we enjoying fashion more are we having more fun with it no because we're now feeling more competition to share on instagram to keep up to to be the influencer for what i mean honestly mm. i just i question I, I see this as an opportunity to feel more empowered mm. yeah mm. I think you're right, it is a little bit about taking power back. Um, because when you look at the psychology, it's difficult to see who's driving this. Are we driving this because we want to shop every week and we want to see something new every week? Or is somebody else or a bigger force driving Definitely. that and making us feel like we're missing out if we're not going every week? Yeah. I find it interesting to think back to when I was younger, you know, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago and remembering that you had to wait for new things <laughs> to come out in, you know, my favorite store right. it was Glassons. It was kind of, I guess, like a bit of a top shop, I suppose, when I was <laughs> 15. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, having to wait until new stock came out and then it was exciting mm. rather than constantly having that being put in front of you. So it is interesting when we talk about psychology to think about where the pushes and pulls are right. and just like assess that for yourself. Uh, because I think we take it for granted that we make our own decisions, but actually marketing is extraordinarily powerful. Yeah, It seeps in even when we're not looking. <laughs> it's kind of everywhere. And, and like you say, here's the chance to step back and go, hang on, what's driving what? Where's the chicken? Where's the egg? And what came first? And I think we're so enmeshed at this stage in time yeah. that it really is, rather than going back, perhaps we go forward from a point of understanding of empowerment and taking clothes back and taking fashion back and taking messaging back and letting people know that they should be them, not some marketing campaign that's mm. telling them who they should be. And yeah. um, Something that uh, Christina said actually at a talk, God, it must have been two years ago now, I, mm. but I remember um, and it, it links in as well to this idea of looking through your wardrobe and discovering yeah. what you have. So there's yeah. two things. First, we always say the most sustainable item you can um, wear is one that you already have. But yeah. the second thing that Christina said that I really loved is that no matter what you look like on the outside, if you're wearing sustainable fashion or if you're wearing something that you know aligns with your values, maybe it's something you've owned for a long time or something you thrifted, you feel like an activist on the inside. So it's Aww. that empowerment of knowing that what you're wearing supports your worldview, supports your yeah. beliefs. Yeah. Absolutely. And so the billboard on the outside, what it looks like doesn't really matter. It's that fighter on the inside. Aww. And it's exciting it's really cool. because it really is like, I'm doing this my way. I'm telling the world what I want to look like, the messaging I want to give. And there's no brand that's going to own that energy. 
Mm. And I think that's fantastic. Just to wrap up soon, I have um, what is your favorite part of, of Fashion Revolution Week? What aspect within all the different topics they talk about? What excites you the most about this campaign, this week, this movement? I, th I think for me, it's connecting all the dots because it's I've spoken to a lot of designers and brands and everyone was just like, okay, we, we really support it. And it's just getting the people together. This energy, I think, is most rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, I think f for me as well, it's the, the connection, but a global connection. Yes, absolutely. I think absolutely, it's really, well. really cool that we know yeah. that this week, all around the world, people are asking these same questions these questions that we often don't stop to think about who made my clothes what's in my look what's in my clothes we're all around the world this week yeah. in places as obscure as Mauritius <laughs> people yeah. are asking these questions all together that's really cool absolutely and what advice I would you give um, people out there for this week would you like them to can you what please action? you can all uh, take this photo with uh, this um, who is it in front of us yes who, <laughs> who made my clothes um, give this kind of pressure to brands to um, explore their own, what do you call it? Because a lot of brands actually don't know what factories they are mm. using. So to be, open to be more, yeah, so, yeah. so fighting for a more transparent fashion system. Mm. So what are the steps? So you upload an image of yourself with a garment and you ask the hashtag? Ta hashtag who mm. made my clothes. Um, you can tag Fashion Revolution, the global one, and FashRev fash Hong Kong as well. And then also yeah. tag the brand or include the brand yes. in that question. So yes. make sure that they are receiving You can even message. send an email personally to them to Correct. ask the questions you have. So yeah, there yeah. are a lot of different ways you can send messages, letters to the people in the company. You can make public campaigns. Absolutely. You can question a whole bunch. And the tools are all there, right? Yeah. And um, if anyone is interested, the 2020 Fashion Transparency Index is just out. So you can always go on Fashion Revolution website to see that. Yeah. What do you have to... Add to. Do you have any particular tips or advice in this campaign that for you'd this like? week? Yeah. Um, so just adding to what Kay said, you can find that poster on the Fashion Revolution website. Mm. Um, you can download it and yeah. posting that on Instagram. Who made my clothes is really important, both to kind of pressure brands into being more transparent about their supply chains, but also because it shows all of your friends and all of your networks that this is something that you care about. Um, and it's yeah, it's just great to spread that word in amongst your network about the fact that actually it's important that we ask our qu these questions and that we know how and where our clothes are made. And also perhaps to celebrate brands who are getting it right and to call them out and to congratulate them and to yeah, say that you're definitely. doing this particular part. You might not be perfect. It's not about being perfect, but to also celebrate the victories because I think yeah. without that optimism, without that enthusiasm, mm -hmm. uh, things can get a bit lost. So also to celebrate what is working yeah by the same token and to also to realize and remember that this is not just a week it's a movement yeah. it's ongoing every day we get yeah. dressed yeah every day we have these choices and to to join in and to get excited because um, there's been no better time to do this than than now no. and feel free to ask us any questions send us messages um, let us know how we can answer any burning questions or just offer support and 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 celebrate whatever changes you're making and whatever successes you're seeing happening around you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I have learned so much. Aww. And um, let every day be fashion revolution. Thanks, thank Tanya. you so much, Tanya. <laughs> thank you. And thank, thank you, you Kay. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, Eaton Hotel, for having us. It's been a lot of fun. It's been great.